Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Give this band a hand clap of praise this morning. There are a few times I looked up and I thought Jesus was leading worship. It was powerful, powerful. I'm kidding. He doesn't have a beard. But welcome to the exchange. We're glad you're here. Happy Easter, everyone. Uh, hope that you are having a great Easter weekend. So far, uh, I know that we've had a blast. We did the whole Easter egg hunt that yesterday with the in-laws. And, and I love going Easter egg hunting with them because they do an adult Easter egg hunt as well. So I came home with about 40 bucks and a couple of gift cards. It was awesome. So this morning, the message is entitled, Wow. Everybody say, Wow. 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 Now, I, I said this last week, or maybe the week before last, or maybe every week, but if, you, if you're faithful to the exchange or you watch us online, you may suspect that every Sunday kind of sounds a little bit like an Easter message, Right? Anybody ever thought that? Every Sunday sounds a little bit kind of like an Easter message. And that is on purpose. Because the core of our Christianity, who we are, who we are as a people is wrapped up and the center focal point of our life, and you should be getting excited, is the resurrection of Jesus. Right? And that's who we are. And so when I think about the resurrection, I think about, wow. Wow. And so we're going to put the wow back in to the resurrection. And we're going to try to make sense of the resurrection and come to grips with the resurrection as the very center, focal point, core of Christianity. And why it is so crucial. Have you ever wondered that? Why is it so crucial that Jesus raised from the dead? So when we look at the resurrection this morning, I want to ask you a question. I want you to ask a question, and it's this. What does the resurrection mean to me personally? Have you ever thought about that? So, in other words, when you wake up every morning, does the resurrection hit you? Okay. When you wake up and you go about your day and your life, do you wake up and one of the things that you think about throughout your day is the resurrection, right? The, probably not. Probably some of us don't. If we were to survey hundreds of people and we were to ask them the question, what does it mean? What does the event mean to them that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? What does it mean to them on a heart level? Most people would struggle to answer that question if we're honest, right? Most people wouldn't really know how to answer that question. Well, you know, it's important. It's, you know, it's great. Or it's, it's, perhaps it was, answer that. Perhaps, maybe some people would say this. Perhaps it was God showing his power over death. That's a good, good thought, right? But didn't he already do that? You know, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so didn't he already kind of demonstrate his power over death by saying, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus kind of hopped out of the grave. So he's already kind of done that. And so maybe, maybe, maybe it was something else. 
uh, as, as creator of all, we believe that God has already shown his power over, over death, but maybe as creator of all, um, God spoke the world into existence, so we believe that. Then why? So why did Jesus have to raise from the dead? Couldn't Jesus just have served as our sacrifice, which in the old covenant and the law, that's what the religious people required. That's what they expected as a remission of their sins was a sacrifice. So couldn't Jesus have just served as our sacrifice and then immediately went into heaven and took his place at the right hand of the Father and served as our eternal priest? I mean, wouldn't that have been okay? End of story. So what was it about the resurrection? Why did people need to see him raised from the dead? Have you ever thought about that? Why did people need to physically see Jesus after he had been crucified and buried? Why did they need to see him alive? What is the importance? So the question is, so where is the wow? Isn't that the question that we're asking this morning? Where is the wow in the message of Christianity. Well, first I want to bring out this point. That Jesus at one point actually predicted his own resurrection. He saw it coming. He knew the plan. In Matthew chapter 20, it says this. Behold, this is Jesus talking. He says, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the priest, to the chief priest and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge him and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. So Matthew, he records this for us. And this is Jesus actually predicting his own resurrection. He knew that there was going to be a time that he was going to pass from life into death. And that everything was going to fade to black. But he had faith and trust that his father was going to be faithful and that his father was going to raise him from the dead. So Jesus saw this coming. Jesus knew that that was the plan. That was what was going to happen. It was what had to happen. And, he, and Jesus, at one point, he even has a moment, you know, because Jesus was both God. He was fully God, and he was both fully man. So at one point, Jesus even said, hey, but if there's another option... If there's another way, if, if, if there's another opportunity, I, I'd take door number two, right? I, you know, if there's, a, if there's another chance that we can go about this and, and accomplish the same mission, then I would like to do that. But then Jesus goes back and he says, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so we see that it was essential because the resurrection is the core of the message of Christianity. Amen? Some of you said that a little questionable. But it's the core of Christianity. Paul, he writes it this way. Uh, he says this to the Corinthians. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you, now he's talking to some religious leaders here uh, who didn't actually believe in that. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is actually in vain. Your faith also is vain. In other words, what are we doing here? Why are we wasting our time? And, and if that message of Paul, what he's saying, if it were still true today, 2,000 years later, I would say this to you. If, if, if there were no resurrection of the dead and Christ wasn't actually raised from the dead, then what are you doing here at the exchange this morning? Okay? Because you're 2,000 years ago and these words of Paul still hold. If Jesus was just a good religious teacher from 2,000 years ago and these words of Paul still hold true today, then it's a total waste of time. If he was just a good teacher who lived and then died and nothing more, then why did you get dressed up this morning? Why did you get the kids ready? And why did you feed them breakfast for some of you that are better parents than probably we are? I don't know. Uh, why did you get them here this morning for just a waste of time, for some religious tradition? Seeking to imitate maybe his actions, seeking maybe to please him, but if he's dead? So Paul goes on in that same passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, moreover, we are even found false witnesses. Now, if you go look at that translation, it's translated English into liars. Everybody say liars. So he says, moreover, we are even found to be liars of God. We, we, because we testify against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is worthless, and you are actually still at this moment in your sins. So do you see how strongly Paul, the Apostle Paul, is putting this? He says, listen, uh, if this is not true, if the resurrection didn't actually happen, then one, we are a bunch of liars, okay? We're a bunch of liars, and this whole message of the resurrection, it, it all hinges on his reality. The whole message of Christianity hinges on that reality that Jesus raised from the dead. Furthermore, he says, there is a very personal benefit for you with the resurrection. There is a personal impact in our lives because of the resurrection. What is that? So glad that you asked. That's a great question. Is it the dead? The dead is actually coming to life. Okay? The dead is coming to life. That is us. So there's this person be there if there were no dead coming to life. We were dead in our sins and would still be there if there were no resurrection. Now, when he's addressing this, he's addressing a lot of people who are still living both covenants. They're still uh, coming out of the old covenant, still living, trying to live by the old covenant system and the old law. So he's addressing a lot of things. We actually read this on this side of the cross. So we see it a little bit differently being here. But, but what he's saying is, listen, uh, there, what's, what's the difference? We would, we would be dead in our sins if there is no resurrection. And that's what we're going to talk about today because this is a big deal. The cross was awesome and the cross is awesome. But if it weren't for the resurrection, we would just be forgiven corpses, if you will. 
With the cross bringing us forgiveness, we are forgiven. Everybody say forgiven. Because that's what the cross did for us. But without the resurrection, we would remain, spiritually speaking, dead. We would remain forgiven corpses. So what Jesus does for us and to us through the resurrection uh, is that his raising out of the grave, is it becomes the catalyst for a new birth. Okay, It becomes why we have birth. And we use this phrase all the time. Churches use this all the time. Maybe you've heard it. Are you born again? You know, are you born again? Are you a born again Christian? I'm a born again believer. I'm a born again Christian. We use that phrase all the time. And that's where we got it. You got that way through the resurrection. We were born of the spirit, born of resurrection life. In fact, Jesus at one point, he calls us this. He says, you are children of the resurrection. That means that at the very core of our being, there is a resurrection life that desires to express itself in and through us. Think about that for a second. At the very core of who you are, there is a resurrection life inside of you that's desire is to express itself on the outside of you. And so he continues in the 15th chapter, And he says, then also those who have fallen asleep. Now he's talking about the dead, the saints, the family and friends who have have already passed on and gone before us. He says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Paul is not mincing words with this whole passage here. He is just laying it out on the line. He says this, you're either liars or you're not. You're either wasting your time or you're not. You're either to be most pitied or not. But the core message of Christianity, it's not a behavior modification program. It's not about showing up at a building and showing off your performance, getting your life clean, getting your act together, making promises to God, and then I'll see you next week for another recommittal where you can do all those things again. But that's not real Christianity. Real Christianity is when God himself comes out of heaven, came out of heaven, and infused us with the resurrection power and the life of Jesus Christ himself. That's Christianity. So it's the fact, real Christianity, it's not about how you act or how you portray yourself or how you show yourself. It's the fact that you have resurrection life living on the inside of you. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in him. It's not me that's living now. This is Christ inside of me. This life that I'm living now, it's Christ living in and through me. Just beneath your skin and bones and everything that you've called you, that's where the resurrection power of Jesus lives today. It's a good place for an amen. I would would have probably said amen right there. (coughs) The message of Easter, that's it. 
It's not merely that Jesus came out of the grave to provide or prove his power over death. No. It was that he came out of the grave, and when he came out of the grave, he took you with him. He took you and me with him so that we could be raised to the newness of life. Isn't that so awesome? The wow. So we're going to talk about a few benefits to the resurrection, why the resurrection to us is so important, why it's so crucial to us today. The first benefit of the resurrection, number one, benefit number one, an eternal priest. Everybody say an eternal priest. Now, maybe it's not what you think, but the book of Hebrews talks about how Jesus lives perpetually because of his resurrection, okay? So Jesus lives forever. Everybody would agree with that? Say amen. Okay, Jesus lives forever, and therefore, since he lives forever, we have an eternal priest. <coughs> That's powerful. That's awesome. We read it first in the book of Psalm, chapter 110. It says this, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this morning, we're not going to Mel's place. We're not going to talk about all that because that's just a lot of uh, extra. That's a sermon for another day. But what I want you to understand is that uh, it's just enough. We're not going into the details, but rest assured that knowing that is enough for today. Jesus Christ is not a priest according to Levi. Okay? Jesus Christ is not a priest according to the old covenant set of laws and set of rules. Jesus Christ has a very particular set of laws, a particular set of rules, a particular set of paperwork in which he lives by. Jesus Christ has been born into the tribe of Judah. He was born into the tribe of David. And so he started this whole new thing, right? So this whole new thing. He's not a priest from Levitical priesthood. And if you go and you study out the, the temple system, what that looks like, all the priests of the temple came through the tribe of Levi. They were Levitical priests. And so when there's a change of priesthood, there's a change of law. And this is one of the biggest arguments for us to grab hold of when it comes to the message of grace. The tribe of Levi, and at that change of priest. And it was a change of priesthood from the tribe of Levi. And at that point, there is a change in the law. Not going back to the law. Not calling a little bit of Moses and mixing it with a little bit of our Jesus. Not going back and grabbing from the law to bring back with Jesus. But if Jesus brought in a whole new priesthood and a whole new covenant and a whole new way, then that's it. And that's what Jesus did. He became a priest. And so you see first here in Psalm 110, the eternality of Jesus, that he lives forever and forever and forever. And, and that's not just God being God. There's a direct benefit for you and I in the fact that Jesus lives forever and ever and ever. Has anybody in this room ever struggled with your salvation? Come on, let's be honest. Let's be honest. You struggle with your salvation wondering if it was enough, wondering if you've done enough, wondering if you've lost it, wondering if you've blown it, wondering if you've maybe messed it all up. 
if you've ever wondered that, then today this message really is for you. What he's saying is this. I am always here, and I will always be here. I will always be representing you. I will never fail you to be exactly what you need me to be. I will always be here reminding you of the cross. I will always be here reminding you of the resurrection. I will always be reminding you of your reconciliation. I will always be here reminding you of who you are, that you have been made alive with me, and that you were brought in close. What's powerful about that is that that was God's idea. That was God's idea from the very beginning, that you and I would be close. And God's idea was, let's bring them in close. Let's, let's bring them in close. And, and his idea, I can imagine this conversation going on when he and Jesus are talking about this plan. Let's bring them in close. Let's cleanse them and let's purify them and let's reconcile them once and for all. And let's do this. And then God comes up and he says, and I've got an idea. Let's make it, let's just really blow the lid off this thing, blow their minds and make it forever. So instead of having a high priest that comes in and lives 20, 30, 40, 50 years as a priest and then dies and then the next priest comes in and lives 20, 30, 40, 50 years and then dies and the cycle is repeated over and over and over again, and as, as a result, we have Jesus. He's just going to be an eternal priest, a priest forever and ever and ever and ever. And the result is this, that they will always be perfectly cleansed. Somebody say amen. They will always be perfectly forgiven. Say amen. Do you see that? This is showcasing the priesthood of Jesus Christ, putting him front and center. And wow. Isn't that wow? Isn't that the awesome part of the resurrection? That Jesus becomes front and center. You, my friends, are not forgiven little by little. You're not forgiven progressively as your behavior modification program starts to work for you. You're not forgiven repeatedly. You are forgiven once and for all, and forever. Isn't that awesome? Forever. Some of you should be really excited about that, right? I know I'm excited about that. When I read this and when I study this out, I get excited. The resurrection is powerful. Wow. Hebrews 7 puts it this way. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still. He has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement. In other words, remember this. He didn't have the right physical requirement. He didn't have the right passport and the right, right papers. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. That's what He's saying here, and he says, but this, but according to the power of an indestructible life. 
Isn't that awesome? He, he didn't become a, a high priest because he came through the right line of people and, and the right tribe, and he was just in line, and he did the right ceremonial feast and all that kind of stuff. He became so because the power of an indestructible life. Have you ever, has anybody ever asked you if you had a superpower, what would it be? That's mine. Okay, an indestructible life? Hello. Anyway, you'll catch up. <laughs> this is what we celebrate this morning. This is what Easter is all about, the power of an indestructible life. Do you see that? You and I, we have an indestructible high priest. Therefore, our forgiveness can never and will never be destroyed. Our forgiveness can never and will never be diminished. We will always have Jesus Christ representing us. He always represents me. Sometimes you need a good attorney, say amen. Don't say amen to that. That was a trick. See if you're listening. See if you're paying attention. But sometimes you need a good attorney representing you, right? Or, or maybe you're an, uh, an athlete uh, and, and you need a good agent in your corner. Or you get into some legal issues. You need good representation. Listen, what this is saying right here is that you today have the best representation that is represent earth. You have the best representation that is representing you, and it is God himself representing you, and he does it again and again and again and again and again. His mercy endures forever and ever and ever. His grace is sufficient for you. Not only that, Jesus said it this way. He said, it is finished. And then we tack one word on the end of that. It is finished forever. Forever. That's a long time. Forever is a long time. Some of you use forever real loosely, you know, like I haven't like had chocolate in forever. <laughs> okay, whatever. You know, <laughs> I can tell. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> forever loosely, but what, what I'm saying is like that. But we lose, we lose, we use forever loosely. But what, what I'm saying here is that we have a representation in Jesus Christ that can never and will never end. So benefit number two, an eternal salvation. So the second benefit is this eternal salvation. Now here, this relates to your forgiveness. But I want to highlight this specifically out of the book of Hebrews. Because I want you to see for just a moment how safe you are in the arms of a loving heavenly father. Hebrews chapter 7, he says, The former priest, everybody say the former priest, now, when he says this, he's referring to the priests in the Old Testament, you know, the ones, the Levites. He's talking about them. He says, the former priests, on one hand, they existed in great numbers. There was a whole bunch of them, okay? Tons, hundreds, and thousands of priests that came through. He said they existed in great numbers because they were prevented 
by death from continuing. Wow, it's amazing how that works, right? Uh, to me, that's probably one of the more obvious passages in the Bible, okay? They were prevented from continuing to do what they did because they continuing. So what would happen is a priest would come in. He would be priest and, do, and, and represent, and he would go into the temple and into the Holy of Holies. He would do his sacrifices and all that, and then eventually he got old and he died. And then you know what? A new priest came in, and he would do all the same things, and he would do it sometimes for years, sometimes not even that long, depending on how old he was when he came in, and all these things. And then eventually, you know what happened? He croaked, kicked the bucket. It was over. And another priest would come in, and another priest would go in. And then one day, one priest wouldn't show up for work, and they'd go to his house, and he had passed away. And so this was a, a cycle that just continued another and another and another. But look at this. He says, the former one, they were prevented because they kept dying. But Jesus, everybody say, but Jesus. On the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently, permanently. Therefore, since he holds his priesthood permanently, because he is a forever priest, he is able, he's able to save for to save for he's able to save for ever those who draw near to God through him. Why? Is it because you live well? It's because you're so obedient? Because you're so faithful to church? And you're such a good Christian person? Is that why? No. No, listen to what he says. He's able to save forever those who draw near to God, to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's why, that's why, that's the wow, that's the wow. He lives to intercede on your behalf. He lives to represent you. He, and so let's think about it this way. The length of your salvation is tied up directly into the length of the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, did I just say that out loud? So that means this that we celebrate today on Easter Sunday morning, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came out of the grave and that Jesus still today is continuing to live and live and live and that he is a forever priest. And your salvation, the length of your salvation is directly tied into the length of the life of Jesus Christ. And we just discovered that Jesus lives forever. Some people think that they'll be saved as long as they live well. Some people think that they'll be saved as long as they live a good Christian life, as long as they don't fail. Some people believe that they'll be saved as long as they blank, and you can fill in the blank with 10 different theologies that, are, that float around out there. But Hebrews 7 tells us this, that you and I, my friend, that we will be saved as long as Jesus Christ <coughs> lives to make intercession. You know how long that is? Anybody? Forever. Isn't that the wow? Isn't that the wow of the resurrection? Part of the resurrection is wow. Hebrews 9 says this. It says, but now he has appeared once for all. Everybody say all. 
Today was audience participation day. I didn't know if you saw that when you came in. So you're preaching with me this morning. Uh, I was afraid that some of you might be asleep, so I'm just helping uh, move this thing along. Do away with. What did he do with sin? He did away with it. Okay? He did away with sins. John, John, Jesus came. He came and did away with that whole issue. And so I want you to understand this this morning. This is the message that I'm trying to get to this morning, is that you are not a sinner in the hands of an angry God who is ready to ditch you. You are a saint. You, we are saints in the arms of a loving Father. In fact, that loving Father says this. He says, and nobody, somebody say nobody. Nobody can snatch you away from me. Wow, nobody can snatch you away from me. I love you so much that I gave my son, and now he represents you forever and ever and ever. He died, and with his resurrection, he brought life back into you that you will live forever. And because of that, wow, wow, nobody can snatch you out of my hands. Benefit number three, an eternal life. Now, even when we say that expression, and if you've come to the exchange very long, you've heard us talk about this. Uh, the word eternal life, a lot of places, in the, especially in the New Testament, is translated aeonios zoe, which is not talking about heaven or mansions or streets of gold. Uh, eternal life is, is simply this, okay? It, it's not talking about heaven, but when you think about eternal life, it actually starts now. Eternal life begins now, and, and that's the wow. That's part of the wow. The wow actually is now. And so when you think about eternal life, I want to give you a little bit of a definition to tell you that eternal life is actually different from everlasting life. Those are not the same words, okay? Everlasting life is a life with no end, okay? Eternal life is actually a life with no end and no beginning. So, who is the only person, the only being that you can think about who has eternal life? Life with no end and a life with no beginning. That's Christ, right? That's God. That's God. And, and, and if that's God, you see then that when the Bible tells us that you have been imparted, that you have been gifted with eternal life, that that's not a thing. It's not a package waiting for you in heaven. It's not something that you get when you get to heaven's gift shop and like you, you open up a jewelry box, or whatever. It's not that, that it's actually Christ's life in us. Eternal life is actually a person. So you have been imparted, you have been gifted with eternal life. That's Christ's life in us. So, I don't know why this is, why the, I'm using this illustration, but it just kind of came to my head. So, imagine this. Imagine you're driving down the road from work, and you see a car kind of off the side of the road, maybe in the ditch or whatever, just kind of, and so you pull over to see if they need help. And you run up to the car, and you find that, out that there's a person who has passed away in the driver's seat, a corpse. This guy's just sitting there, and he's, he's DOA, right? 
And so you're looking at him, and, and you suspect that probably he had a heart attack. He's just driving along, had a heart attack, and died. And then while you're sitting there, you look at the front seat, and you see uh, Twinkie wrappers and Dum Dum wrappers and, and cupcakes, and you see several empty bags of chips, and you see monster drinks and Red Bulls and, and Coke bottles, empty Coke bottles all in the car. And so immediately, you recognize that this person had a heart attack from overeating, right? And so you do the logical thing. And you run back to your car, and you get your diet book that your trainer gave you. TJ, he gave you a diet book, right? You run back to the corpse, and you start telling him the list of things he shouldn't eat. You shouldn't eat this, and you shouldn't eat that, and you should try to avoid these kinds of foods and that kind of food. You should eat this and eat that, right? How well is that going to work for you? It's not, right? Because listen, what he doesn't need is a list of do's and don'ts from a book, right? What he needs in that moment is the paddles, you know, the paddles. So you see the paramedics pulling up, and they clear the area, and they come up with those paddles, and they give him the paddles. And all of a sudden, a few seconds later, beep, you hear a beep, and there's a glimmer of hope. Because what he needed was not a list of do's and don'ts and rules. What he needed in the moment was life. He needed a miracle. He needed a resurrection life inside of him. Don't you see that? That's what the Bible says about us. Listen, it says this in Colossians. It says, when you were dead, everybody say dead, in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, what did God do? Did he read a bunch of do's and don'ts and regulations and, and the list of the Ten Commandments? No. It says God made you alive with Christ. Not only did he make you alive with Christ, it says that he took it a step further. And he forgave us of our sins. I think this is one of the best encapsulations of the whole gospel message right here. He made you alive with Christ, and he forgave us of all our sins. If he had just forgiven us, that would be half of the gospel message. If he had just made us alive, that would have been half the gospel message. But he did both. He made us alive, and he forgave us. So let's entertain this idea for just a moment. What if he just makes us alive, right? What if he just makes us alive? Because didn't he do that to Adam and Eve? He gave them life. He made them alive. But then they were in the garden and they sinned. How many times that we see recorded? One. They sinned one time. And what happened? They lost life. You and I sin all the time, right? Let's be honest. You can pretend, those of you that are perfect, just pretend that you make mistakes often. We sin all the time, and we don't lose life. We never lose that. Why is that? Because he forgave us of all our sins so that the life inside of us can continue and never, ever 
ever end. Never be interrupted because it is indestructible. The life that is no sin issue to terminate the life issue. So they're both needed. If he just forgave us, we would just be forgiven corpses who still want to sin. And, and, but, but he forgave us and he made us new. And a part of that forgiveness is a desire to look like Christ and be like Christ and represent him and allow him to live in and through us. And then our desires begin to change and our thoughts for people begin to change. Our reactions to people begin to change. And the hate that was inside of us begins to dissipate because there's something new on the inside of us. He forgave us and changed our life. If he had just made us new and not forgiven us, for a lot of us, that would last 10 minutes. Right? I mean, if we're totally honest, if he was just forgiving us, then we'd be dead again. Right? If he was just making us alive, 10 minutes. But he cleared the deck, making our sin no longer the issue. He remembers our sins no more. He is not counting men's sins against them. Colossians 2, he's saying that he, he takes care of both. He's taking care of both, and he made us fully alive and totally forgiven forever. And then in Ephesians, it says this, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been, past tense, been saved. Okay? Now, again, when you read this, you got to understand who he's writing to. So when he says we were dead in our transgressions, he's actually not even talking to you. He's talking to the people coming out from under the law, but he brings it in to us included, and he says, it is by grace you have been saved. So Paul says this in a number of places. And you know, it's interesting because a lot of times we as the church, as pastors, we water down this message. I have done it for years and years and years in ministry because I was caught so much in a mixture of theology, preaching the law, and preaching grace, and they were just counteracting one another. They were diluting one another. The law made the grace seem not that great, and grace made the law very powerful. And so I was, you preach both, and you dilute it, and what happens is we take a very powerful and wonderful message, and we start to ruin it, Right? I was talking to my neighbor, one of my neighbors. I've got a bunch of them. It wasn't their own cola, so don't everybody point at them or whatever. Uh, but I was talking to one of my neighbors, and we were talking about God and church, and he is super, super faithful. I mean, church, 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 like clockwork. And we were talking and stuff, and we got into talking about God and God's view on us, and it was really interesting because I could hear him saying things about God's view of him, and that's why he's got to constantly be on his A game so he can be good with the man upstairs, constantly be on his A game. And I started making comments, and I said, listen, 
You are loved by God. You are beautiful. God loves you. You are perfected because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. You have been perfected. Your righteousness is holy. You have the righteousness of God. You are a representation of the righteousness of God living inside of you. And I said all these great things thinking, dude, I am pumping him up. I am like, I am king evangelist. I mean, I was shaking. I got out my handkerchief, and I, I slapped him a couple times with it. I poured oil on his head. I didn't do all that, but I was feeling it. I was feeling it in my mind. And I looked at him, and I was like, and that's how God views you. And you know what he said to me? And I'm not lying. He looked at me and said, wow. He said, man, that would be awesome if it were true. That would be awesome. And you know, and I'll be totally honest with you, it broke my heart. It did. It made me very sad in that moment because... He just doesn't know how much my dad loves him, my brother. He just doesn't know all the things that God did to put everything into place so that he doesn't feel that way. But you know what made him feel that way? Unfortunately, the church. A misrepresentation of the gospel message, who God is. Man, that would be awesome. If it were true. I mean, we're insinuating that somehow God is tricking himself. We're insinuating that God is pulling the wool over his own eyes. We're insinuating that we have this fake righteousness. And we have this fake newness and this fake resurrection life. And that one day when we die and go to heaven, then we get the real righteousness and newness and all that. We, we also invent these theories, and I had this theory, earn you. God has done, it was this, that God wants to burn you. God is done with you. And that's why he is a God of vengeance and violence, and, and he is that. But he wants to love you. He just can't because you are dirty. He wants to care about you, but he just can't. And so because he does love you, Jesus had to come in and be the Savior of the world. And so now God sees us through Jesus, and because of Jesus, God loves us. And we serve a good God, and he's a good father. You take Jesus out of the, the equation, and bam, I don't like you again. And that was just kind of my warped perspective. And some of you probably have had that same perspective, and you didn't even really know it. And, and so we, we have these, these Jesus goggles that we think that God views us through, and, and that's the only way. Listen, God made you like Jesus. He made you equal to, okay? He, he says that you have the same resurrection power living inside of you. So what I'm saying is that we easily water down the message of the gospel. But I want you to read this passage with me real carefully. This is probably a, a just, it's a great passage for kind of clearing up what I'm trying to say. This question, he says, is the law contrary to the promises? Question mark. No. And the answer is no. And he answers that, no. 
And then he goes on, he says this, for if a law had been given, which was able to what? Impart life. So he says, if a law had been given, which was able to impart life. So I want to pause there, talk about this for just a minute. Law could not, did not, cannot impart life. Okay? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying by that? The law cannot impart, the law is not a syringe that can put divine, imparted, holy, everlasting, eternal life inside of you. The stone tablets that Moses came off the mountain with, they cannot and did not and were not intended to ever give you life. Those stone tablets were actually a ministry of condemnation. They were a ministry of death, and not at one point could those stone tablets ever look at you and say, now I give you divine life in God. They couldn't. And so we continue to read the second half of this verse in just a second, but I want you to look at the synonyms. Those of you that made it past grade school, you can probably remember what synonyms are. They're words that have the same or similar meanings. And I want you to look at the synonyms in this passage because it has life and resurrection. I mean, life and righteousness. And look at this. If a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on Law. See, you see what I'm saying? Life and righteousness, they're related. You don't have fake righteousness. You have life righteousness. Let me say it different. You don't have pretend righteousness. You have imparted righteousness. You don't have fake righteousness. You have shared righteousness. You don't have God's view of you. You have the reality that God has injected into you himself, his righteousness, his newness. His, it's not God's view of you. It's the reality that you are imparted with the righteousness of God. Man, wow. That's the wow. The wow is now. You got, anybody know who Steph Curry is? Steph Curry, all right. Love him or like him, hate him, whatever. It doesn't matter for the story. Just listen to the story. But I thought this was awesome. Last year, when the NBA started shutting down for, for quarantine and COVID and all that, when it started getting really, like, intense and all the professional sports world started closing, they were doing an interview with Steph Curry. He was at his house, and he was on, like, a Zoom or whatever, and there are three analysts standing in the NBA, uh, in the ESPN studios, and they were interviewing him, and he was talking to him. And one of them said, all right, Steph, I got a question for you. He said, let me ask you this. He said, is there anybody who, when they step on the court, you look at them that night, you say, I'm going for 60. I'm just going to break it down. This man cannot, will not stop me. Is there, is there anybody? He says, be honest with me. Just say a name. And Steph goes, yeah, everybody. Being an analyst, they just start, everybody. 
And the ESPN analysts, they just like, start running around the studio. They're high-fiving. They're like, yeah, because he's talking trash. Why? Because he knows who quarantine is over, knows how dominant he is and that he is unstoppable. And then when quarantine is over and the NBA reconvenes, that there's not a person on the planet that can or stop him, that he believes that he's going to be dominant over whoever he faces, right? So let me ask you this. Any of you ever played basketball, like in school, high school, grade school, in your dreams, I guess, maybe? So anybody? No, nobody? Nobody? Okay. All right. So, so let's just pretend for a second that you won some sweepstakes, or maybe you lost the sweepstakes, however you want to view this, and you got to switch places with Steph Curry for one NBA game. You got to take his place, right? How would that turn out? <laughs> for some of you, I can answer for you if you'd like me to. I don't know. <laughs> right? But I tell you, for me, I used to play basketball back in the day, and there was a day that I was okay. But if I got to switch places with Steph, I'm telling you right now, I would put the jersey on and the shorts on and the shoes on, and I would never get off the bench except for to clap. Right? I would never get in the game because it doesn't matter how great I think I might, could be, or have been. Let's say it was back in my prime when I was healthy and had good knees and I didn't have this. I still would have sat on the bench the entire time. They're professionals. And Steph Curry happens to be one of the better professionals in the entire league. So I would have rode the bench. But... Another scenario. Let's imagine for a moment that somehow, some way, you got possessed by the spirit and the talent of Steph Curry. How would that be different? You know where I'm going with this. <laughs> so last night I was reading through my message and I was sitting at the desk and I looked at Shelly and I said, Babe, what was that movie that you and the kids were watching last night? You know, it was a movie with he's possessed by this power of basketball power and all that. And I was like, what is the name of that movie? Because this kind of goes. And she goes, yeah, Magic Mike. <laughs> so you've been watching Magic Mike, huh? <laughs> it was actually like Mike. She just couldn't remember her name. All right, so my wife's watching Magic Mike, and I missed it. But anyway, the point is this, is that if you were imparted, if you had the spirit and the talent and the gift of Steph Curry, when you stepped on the basketball court, it would be a totally different story, wouldn't it? And you have been imparted with that same power. Now, now do you see why Jesus Christ did not merely give his life for us that was sacrificial and awesome, and we appreciate it, but he didn't just give his life for us. He went even further, and he gave his life to us. It's not just about Friday. Friday was awesome, and we thank the cross. He gave us his life. He gave us life so that 
we could express his life in and through us, that he, we represent him. We have his righteousness, his newness, his wholeness, his spirit of reconciliation, his spirit of healing, his spirit of forgiveness, and then it exercises through us, just as if we were possessed with the, the spirit of Steph Curry. Steph Curry understood and knew who he was and what he had. And oh, if the church and Christians would just believe the same thing about who we have, who we are in Christ, we could actually change the world if we could get out of our own heads. Jesus, uh, Jesus, John alludes to this when Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, to the max. You'll notice it doesn't say, I have come that they may have great behavior, behavior modification programs. of stuff to do, a list of rules and regulations. I have come so that they may have weekly meetings. I have come so that they may have accountability groups. I have come so that they may have quiet times and keep track of them and inch ever so closer to me a little at a time. Listen, there's a beauty in gathering together as a body, and it's awesome. But the main reason Jesus Christ came is this, to infuse us with his life. He says, I came, I came to this earth to give you life. Not just life, but to live life to the full. John expresses it similarly. He says this, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my words and believes, and that word believes right there is pistis, and it means to entrust or have confidence in. So he says, whoever hears my words and has confidence in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I love that. I love that. He's crossed over from death to life. God, the crane operator, has pulled us out of death and put us into life. He's, he's taken us out of death, taken death off the table, death not an option, and gave us life. And he wants us to live that life to the fullest. Or look at it this way, that he has plugged us in to life. Okay? See, we were plugged into Adam at the beginning and God has unplugged us from Adam, and he's plugged us into Jesus. He's given us life. It's by his doing that we are in Christ. Jesus says this in John chapter 11. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I am the self-improvement guru. Okay? I am the resurrection and the life. He that Pistis, again, who has confidence in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and has confidence in me shall never die. And then he asked her this question. Do you believe this? So that's my question for you this morning. Do you believe this? This wow. And I've thrown a lot of stuff at you this morning. A lot of wows. Do you believe this? The Apostle John, he actually writes this down at one point, and he says this. I have written 
these things down. I've given you a list of who God is, why God came, what he did while he was here, and the benefits of what he did for you. And he says, I've written all of this down, and I put it in a document for a very clear reason, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I, I, I documented this, and I wrote it all down, because there are going to be people that are going to dilute this message later on. There are going to be people who are going to misunderstand and misinterpret and misrepresent this message. But I wrote it all down because I want to be clear. I gave it to you so that not that you have a feeling. It's not about a feeling because because uh, uh, to be honest, a lot of us, we're going to feel good when we come to church, sing some songs. We're going to go outside. 30 minutes later, we're going to be upset about something. We're going to get some bad news, and we're going to be back down. And then Monday, we're going to feel good, and then and then all of a sudden, something's going to happen. We're going to feel dirty and distant and, and away from God, and so we're going to pull back, and then all of a sudden, we're going to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, and we're going to be back up, and we're going to be up and down and up and down. We're going to ride this roller coaster of emotions, and John goes, no, 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 don't do that. I wrote this all down, not so you can have a feeling, but I wrote it down so that you can know, okay, so that you can know. So let's just put it to bed, let it rest so that you can know, so that you're not confused. You don't have to question it. You don't have to wonder so that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus says in John 14, before long, the world will not see me anymore. When he says world there, he's not talking about like non-Christian people. He's talking about the cosmos, creation. Will not see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you live also. <laughs> wow. Wow. So what did we learn today? Quick review and if Elaine or whoever. We learned the three benefits of the resurrection. Benefit number one, that we have an eternal priest, a representative, an, an agent, an attorney, a high priest forever representing our cause and cased closed because it is finished forever. Second resurrection benefit we have an eternal salvation because he lives, we live, and we will be saved as long as he lives. And good news is, I read the book. I know the end of the story. He lives forever, forever. That's why we're celebrating today. Don't tell nobody, but he's still alive. And tomorrow and the next day and 20 years from now, he's still your salvation is tied to that. And finally, we have an eternal life within. Within the spirit of Jesus Christ himself. Just beneath our flesh and bones. That's motivating and animating our every. It's us in him. It's us in him. In fact, Jesus, there, the purpose of all this was there was a point where Jesus was, was communicating, conversating with God, and he says, look, I want them to have what we have. I want them to have the oneness that we have. I in you and you in me. 
I want to give them that. Let's give them what we have, that there's no separation, that we are one. God says, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it forever. Forever. So it's them and you and me forever. That's the resurrection. Wow. That we are one with Christ. That we have the resurrection power inside of us. That we have Christ inside of us. And it just like that illustration with Steph Curry, Christ inside of us should be animating our every move. Our reactions to people, our reactions to things. That Christ is represented and seen in us. The wow is now. Amen. The wow is now. That's the wow of the resurrection. The wow, the power of the resurrection. We thank God for the cross because through the cross we've been forgiven. But through the resurrection, you have been given life. Life. You have been made alive in Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this time together to celebrate Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, raised from the dead. Wow. Father, we are eternally grateful for the forgiveness and the life and the presence and the power that you yourself taking up residence inside of us. And today we don't just celebrate the resurrection inside of us. Today we don't we, we celebrate Jesus, you, how incredible, how awesome that is. But we thank you and we praise you and we adore you and we honor you. We are so grateful to you for having the audacity and the boldness to include us, to bring us in, to give us heart surgery and transformation, this DNA swap to include us. And so, Father... If there's anyone out there that's listening and that's watching right now and and they don't know you, they haven't experienced what we're talking about, we just want to give them an opportunity right now, having heard the truth about your resurrection, your resurrection power, the resurrection of Christ, that they would have a chance right now to say, yes, that's what I want. I want that life. I want you living in me. I want this eternal forgiveness. I want this eternal salvation. I want eternal life. I want this forever priesthood representing me. I call upon the name of the Lord right now to transform me. The key about this is, Jesus, you already did it. But I pray that you help them to believe it. It's not too good to be true. It's too good not to be true. Help them to walk in it and have confidence in it. And as we're in it and we're getting adjusted and we're in and getting to know how amazing this life with you is, God, we thank you for the resurrection life that you've given us. We thank you especially for Jesus. And it's in his perfect and precious name, God, that we pray.